Welcome to Field Trials, a future farming webcast exploring innovations, issues, and perspectives in new farm technology. This is Matt, your Canadian farm kid and journalist host. Thanks for tuning in. Will your next tractor have a cab? Well, it's hard to say. This episode of Field Trials features Ian McDonald, Crop Innovation Specialist for the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture. We discuss a variety of things, including why some developers have focused on designing cab-free autonomous equipment, why some haven't, transportation restrictions, and the significance of scale. I'm here with Ian McDonald. Ian, thanks for uh, joining us for a chat. Pleasure to be here, Matt. And we're, uh, you're, you're a bit of a, um, I don't know what the term you would use, but you seem like a bit of a jack of all trades with all of this, uh, all this ag tech stuff. But specifically today, um, we're talking about cabs versus cabless uh, tractors. Uh, why I would have one, what they're, what they're good for, maybe what they're not good for. Um, and I have no expertise on this whatsoever. So this is all, this is all you, Ian, but uh, why would I have a cabless tractor? I, my gut would be to have something with a cab on it so that if I have to drive it, I can drive it. Um, you know, if something goes wrong or what have you, but obviously there's some other considerations there. Why would I want a cabless tractor? So just a, a bit of context first, especially in the North American context, um, the, the current emphasis is on activity, robotic activity in horticultural crops where there's, you know, smaller acreages, more sort of uh, management concentration and stuff and more problems because there's not as much herbicide and other crop protection options available in some of the hort sectors. Um, so scale really comes into play. Some of these robots are, are really small. They, they look like little uh, uh, beer coolers on, on wheels. And um, because of that, uh, they are going to be deployed to fields probably in, in groups or what they're calling swarms. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do you replace a 12 row planter? Well, you don't replace it with one, one, one row robot. You replace it with several row robots type of thing. And so that makes no sense to have a cab on something of that scale. You're just going to load it on a trailer and it's going to go out to the field. And depending on whether it's a weeding robot or a seeding robot, you know, it, it'll come back and it'll get charged at the trailer. It'll get refilled uh, with seed to go back out and continue to finish the deployment job that it's been given or that they have been given in, uh, in series. And those little robots will all communicate together so that they know that they've covered everything. As you move up in scale, um, again, what breaks it down is, is the robotic sort of innovation coming from the long-term OEM uh, farm equipment side of things, or is it coming from the new entrants that are coming out of military, automotive, industrial engineering, and some of these things where some pretty brilliant engineers and that are engaging and they don't have the agriculture baggage, I'll call it, in, in what a power unit needs to look like, right? Um, and so again, what is the purpose of that robot? And does it need to do multiple things? Does it need to be driven to the field? Or in many cases, some of these robots may be dedicated to a field for the season. So once you get it out there, it just stays in that defined landscape and works its way across it, you know, on a weekly basis, or it may even take a week to cover a, a whole field. Because if you're going down the rows, 
picking out every single little weed between the plants within the corn row or the squash row or whatever, that's going to take a long period of time, right? Um, <clears throat> others are being attached to current tractors. So there's a company in California making a really interesting laser robot for weeding. Um, but the drive, even though it's got to be ultra slow, so bull low gear, it's human driven on a, on a three point inch of a tractor mm -hmm. and then the robot does its thing. As you get bigger, and I'll use the example of John Deere, they have a new one out. I don't know what they call it. I call it the brick because it looks like a great big green brick and it, it kind of has a three point hitch on the front and the back and the three point hitch on the front. Actually, you, you use your controller to drive it up to a cab and then hook up the cab and then you drive it out to the field and you drop the cab off on the edge of the field and then you send the, the big robot out into the field to work autonomously, but you sit in the nice cushy cab to kind of watch it and manage other aspects of the business on the phone, on the computer, you know, that type of thing. So portable office, essentially. Exactly. Um, will that sell? I don't know. It, it's just, it's the wild west, right? It's just, we are on the cusp of something pretty monumental in terms of disruptive change that will come to field crop agriculture. Um, so there's a lot of unknowns, but yeah, I guess that's what I would comment so far on. Yeah, every time I have to, I, I get into our old Ford 7700 or, or 4000 or something, I, I think about that. Like, I don't, it, it just, it, it makes me, it makes me wonder, I guess if it's job specific, like let's look at something like I, I always mention this one because it's 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 stuck in my mind probably from covering it so much. But look at something like uh, the dot, or what's the omni omni power platform? Omni power, yeah, whatever it's called now. Which you have direct experience with with uh, with working with some colleagues here in Ontario. <laughs> um, something like that. I mean, if I have the acreage to leave it in the in a field, like if I'm out west or if I got a lot of stuff, then you know you have the implements there. That makes a lot of sense to me. You know, personally, we're smaller times, so I would see a lot more value in what you described the swarm technology and all of that. But still, if I can't put it in the back of a trailer or I can't throw it on something to transport it elsewhere, I really do want to have the ability to drive that. And I just wonder if, like you mentioned, John Deere, I remember seeing, I don't know when it was exactly, but John Deere case, whoever come, came out with these huge, truly huge machines. And I think they kind of flopped originally. Um, because partially because of this concern, like, well, if I have to drive it somewhere or if I want to drive it somewhere, but I can't like, you know, like what, what do I do? Right. I feel kind of yeah. stuck. Is that like, is that still kind of a valid concern um, with the amount of tech, tech that we have coming out now? Or is that, is that kind of no? I, I yes and no. And uh, it's because of we haven't got to the autonomy on the road with the cars, let alone the yeah. farm equipment, right? And yeah. so in, in, you know, I've talked to the, the Raven people in Saskatchewan about the Omni power and stuff like that. And um, like it, it can't be driven on the road legally now because it's too wide and too slow and too whatever, right? So, and, and doesn't have an operator, even though they have an electronic tether system whereby it's it's tethered to a pickup truck and you drive the pickup truck ahead and it follows you, you know, all the way down the road into yeah. the field type of thing. 
but that's not good enough for the you know provincial ministries of transport and stuff yet and so in my conversation with the industry guys agwise they're saying that's not our problem we're going to let the automotive side fix that problem and get to that solution and then we'll adopt what is necessary to make that work because think of the idea of the cars in the cities where you know you and i share a car and your office hours are different than mine and it autonomously goes between the two offices to pick us up and take us home uh, so it's getting there without an operator um so it's that type of thinking too right um and again eventually the the goal is not to have the operator right there in the field you will still be connected through your device to that thing, but you could be in Timbuktu in terms of, of operating it. Um, but on the other hand, in many cases, people still have to be engaged in that because you need the logistics of filling it with whatever it's gotta be able to do out in the field, right? <clears throat> so there will always be ongoing sort of human connection to, to each of those robot platforms and stuff. So. It, it's tough to know how it will all develop. I think the scale will really play into it, right? If it's going to be in a Hort field, like in the at the Muck station, at the Muck um, up in New Holland Marsh, and it's going to be in that salary field for the for the season, then it doesn't need to have that, and it's going to be a smaller thing and such. So, yeah, it's a lot of unknowns. I think intriguing, but just unknown at this point. A lot of unknowns indeed. And I suppose just the idea that, I mean, if you can have something that's dedicated, you're not going to be relying on that to move wagons around anyway. So it, that kind of negates a little bit of that, you know, the concern of being able to drive it in the first place. Well, I, I kind of chuckle, right? Because uh, I'm working on a project right now that we needed some tractors to do. And there was no way I was going to get them uh, from a farmer at this time of year because yep. they're all hooked up to some implement that's getting ready to go out and, and plant or work mm -hmm. the ground or whatever it is to get the 2022 crop in the ground, right? <clears throat> How many of these tractors hooked up to a disc or a cultivator or the planter or the seed drill or whatever are really switching in season from one implement to another? That used to be the way. I question whether that's the way now on the, on the larger progressive farms. The tractor, although it's multi-use, is essentially dedicated to a single use for a certain part of the season, right? Awesome. Well, that's that's an interesting cultural introspection and, and, and prospect, I have to say. Uh, definitely something I'm going to have to get used to. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, uh, on that, Ian, uh, something I wanted to chat about was you're also part of a, uh, correct me if I got the name wrong here, but it's the Autonomous Working Group. Um, so you work with, so you work for the Ministry of Agriculture in the province. Um, you work with some private partners and, and, and a lot of various other companies and things uh, doing autonomy research in Ontario fields. Um, could you maybe just describe, because I, I think I'm kind of off of that description, could you just describe what the Autonomous Working Group is? And with respect to um, this discussion that we're having, uh, if there's any particular areas of interest or um, initiatives that uh, that uh, you're focused on uh, looking at this issue. So it's actually called the Agrobotics Working Group. And it was formed about this time last year. And it includes several OMAFRA people um, 
Hagerty Creek Robotics at Bothwell. Mm -hmm. uh, several of the horticulture associations like fruit and veg growers, Holland Marsh growers, and, and various people. Uh, we meet on Friday mornings, almost every Friday morning. And we have created relationships with several um, robotics distributors from around the world, which has been really exciting to see them take an interest in what we're doing and say they want to come and work with us. Last year, we had, I think it was about five robotic platforms that we worked with. And <clears throat> we did a little bit of research, but it was more demonstration, trying to get them out in front of farmers and understand what farmers' problems were that they were looking for a solution for. And this is one of the reasons, one of the important reasons why we started the Ag Working Group is a lot of the technology that's coming out in this area, we haven't really heard from the OEMs and stuff like that yet. They're, you know, they know their stuff. They're doing it sort of still in-house yet. Um, it's the, it's sort of the non-traditional ag robotics companies with, you know, people from different industry segments that have taken an interest in agriculture because mm -hmm. of the, the robotics sort of uh, startups. Um those people need support. They need to understand what agriculture is because it's very different. Where has robotics really taken off in agriculture? In the dairy industry, in the greenhouse industry, you know, places where there is significant dollars, four walls, the ability to individually identify each individual that you want to be able to have mm -hmm. the robot interact with. That's very different than now going out into the outdoor landscape yeah. with soils and temperature and climate and, you know, field boundaries and ditches and all these different types of things, right? <clears throat> so we we wanted to demonstrate, we wanted to connect, be, a, be a, a conduit to connect producers with problems to industry people that wanted to provide robotic or autonomous solutions mm -hmm. and the people that apply the solutions don't understand agriculture right so <clears throat> i'll just use an example of um of drones okay <clears throat> so we worked with a couple of them on demonstrations last year and yes they could fly and they could go across the field and they could seed some cover crops and stuff like that but every seven minutes it had to come back and land and you had to change the battery out and you had to fill the unit and then you had to put it back in the air. And so what's the difference in terms of logistical efficiency of that versus going out with a spinner spreader on a high boy um, sprayer rig and covering a hundred feet at a time type of thing, right? And so one of the things that we're trying to do is one, help these innovative companies understand that it's not just doing the job it's what is the logistics that keeps that thing in the air or keeps it operating doing the job what is the solution or sorry what is the problem that their solution is trying to address and then third fold is all of the equipment that sits in the farmyard today waiting to go to the field to plant is not going away tomorrow so if we bring the robotic stuff in, in the short term, and I don't even know what that term is, is it two years, mm -hmm. is it five years, is it yeah. 10 years? 
the old and the new have to integrate. And so you've got these iterations of, of changing, um, changing number of pieces of equipment in those two camps, the traditional and the robotic, and how do they work together to meet the needs of the farmer? And that's the part that really is intriguing to me. The other part that's really intriguing to me is the psychology, you know, and I was, I'm a science guy and, and, you know, I remember a friend of mine in ag saying to me one time, if he had to do ag college again, he'd do psychology <laughs> so he could understand how to reach people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause that is a big thing. When we went to the Holland Marsh and we went to different places and farmers came together, the, the different perspectives on what they were looking at and how it would integrate with their operation was extremely intriguing and being able to engage them in those conversations helped them understand what problems they actually had that you know robotics might provide a solution for and help the robotics people say oh now i understand what i need to build my robot to do mm -hmm. um and so there's a lot of stuff there and so we're actually just working on the draft of a of the concept of a hub like a center of excellence or you know a commutech type of thing where you got a question on ag robotics and agriculture, you come to the hub and we have a network that, you know, we can hook you up with the right academics, the right financial people, the right business planning people, the right research people, the right farmers that can help you understand it, right? Um, and, and we need to connect farmers to that because here's sort of a terrible old example, but I'm driving the cultivator, open station cab, and I'm going along and I'm watching and, you know, it starts to fill up with purslane because it's a lot of purslane in my field. And so I need to know when to get off and, and brush those purslanes off. You know, this field's a little tacky. And so I need to keep changing the height all the time to not let the tires be slipping and stuff like that. And that's just something that we learn as kids and people working in agriculture. How do you take that out of my head and program it into a robot to be able to go across the landscape and do that? same type of thing right and so the concept of the hub is to have this information flowing in like an octopus in all these directions to the the areas that it needs to touch in the hope of creating a better mousetrap and what we you know our, our emphasis here is can we create this environment in ontario and meet ontario farmers needs first and then the robotics companies go off and sell it in California and Florida and all these other places, right? Because we're always the ones in the past that have been second, third, fourth fiddle to that. And, and we kind of have this opportunity because it's so, again, the Wild West and, and open and new. And we have some tremendous growers with some interesting problems and companies can come in here and we can create this connection for them to all of these resources of dollars and intellect and manufacturing and all this type of thing right it's kind of the goal that's uh that point's been raised to me many many times that um not so much that uh and i assume it's partially just a market thing like california is just they either have the capital or the farms or whatever that that can um, kind of foster innovation in that but where people will talk about a new implement and then we'll try and bring it to Ontario or even, you know, some, some of the States like Michigan or, or Ohio or something like that. And they just won't work the same. 
and then that's kind of where they stop right yep. so yeah it's kind of interesting that take taking yeah. the localized art and transforming it into some sort of workable ai code i suppose well and and even the engineering side of it right like we had a company that we had in the march last year and they've sort of re-engineered the layout of their platform to better fit in the systems mm -hmm. that the muck growers use type of thing right they were off in terms of track width and stuff like that that was going to make it awkward for integration and so we you know we encouraged them that it needed to be flexible it needed to be able to to get wider or narrower depending on the crop and the platform and such like that so it's it's creating that network like you know I, i'm the omafra crop innovation specialist well you know i'm no expert uh today i don't think we can be experts there's just too much and so what do you do you create a network to bring people with great ideas and lots of experience together to work towards a common solution that you know various people can can share in awesome well uh that's a pretty good conclusion Ian. i think uh i think we can enter there and we'll let you go very good pleasure awesome thanks very much thanks for tuning in everyone i hope you got something out of the conversation as ever, the idea is to explore topics, items, and perspectives in the ag tech space. Uh, so if you're interested in sharing your own perspective and joining us for a conversation, feel free to get in touch with the Future Farming team at futurefarming.com. Uh, you can also reach me directly at Fur Rural on Twitter. That's at F-E-R-R-U-R-A-L on Twitter or via ruralphilosopher.com. Thanks again for listening.